0: Happy Monday for all of everybody that's tuning in today. My name is Brett Williams, and welcome to the Monday edition of Leading to Sales. I cannot tell you how excited I am today for our special guest. I've spent uh, the past couple of weeks going through Dr. Nick Morgan's books, a couple of his books. I've actually got more books on the way. And here is the reason that I am so excited to share him with you. Just to kind of give you a quick picture of who Dr. Nick Morgan is, he is known as one of America's top communication speakers, theorists, and coaches. He's a passionate teacher. He's committed. To, he, he is committed to helping people find clarity in their thinking and ideas, and delivering them with panache. Now, here's the the, the thing to give you just a brief picture: he has been commissioned by Fortune five, by, excuse me, by Fortune fifty companies to write for many of their CEOs and presidents. He's coached people to give congressional testimony, no pressure, right? To appear in the media and to deliver unforgettable TED Talks. He's worked with a lot of political and educational leaders, and he's found himself speaking at conferences and moderating panels at venues around the world. During this last election cycle, he actually provided expert commentary on the presidential debates for CNN. Now, his most recent book, Can You Hear Me?, that was actually released pre-coronavirus pandemic, cannot be a more appropriate book for leaders and for all of us uh, people that are just in the marketplace on a regular basis to read. And I will talk a little bit about that today. We'll talk some about why I love his work so much, and we will be back with Dr. Nick Morgan right after this.
1: Welcome to the Leading to Sales podcast. Every week, we're bringing you leadership, sales, and marketing strategies to help you move your business forward. Here's our host, internationally known sales and marketing leader, Brett Williams.
0: Welcome to the show, Nick.
1: Brett, it's great to be here. What fun! I'm looking forward to this uh, these next few minutes.
0: Absolutely, it's going to be great. It'll, it'll be a great time. And you didn't know that you were actually going to come onto my show and leave with a new nickname. So I guess you're now Dr. Mick Morgan <laughs> 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 after my last one. Um, so I get, if, I
1: get called Mick occasionally. It doesn't happen very often, but they're both about equally unusual names. So
0: yeah, no, I, I often back. get I often get Brent. That's yeah. that's my uh, that's what yeah. I often get. Um, but you know hey that's that's part of it so yep. Nick you have thank you firstly for coming on the show I, the after going through a lot of your work the value that you're going to provide both today and to those who who choose to make sure that they're digging into what you have to offer is going to be awesome and i'm excited for so many of our listeners My but pleasure. tell us just a little bit about your backstory i know you've got a very unique origin story um, that I read about and and you shared a little bit with me. So I would love just to share with people kind of where you come from, who you are and what you've got going on right now.
1: Well, you know, I never used to talk about this, but uh, uh, when I started talking about body language um, uh, to people um, as a speaker in public, that kind of thing, I thought, I, I better come clean about why I'm so interested in body language and, and why, why it's important to me. Um, and, and I was actually ashamed of this, uh, of, of what had happened, uh, foolishly, I think, uh, because it was an accident. But uh, when I was 17, I was tobogganing. And I uh, crashed into a tree. You, the the lesson here for everybody watching and listening is you can't really steer a toboggan. So <laughs> it's, it's a dumb thing to do. Tobogganing is a dumb thing to do, especially on an icy slope on a cold winter's day. Uh, well, I fractured my skull and I was in a coma and briefly died. For the proverbial uh, few minutes, was brought back to life by those paddles and the. And the shocks and whatnot. Yeah, um, and when I woke up, uh, something very strange had happened. The the, the uh, hospital gives you this uh, test to see if your if your brain is still functioning, and it's a very simple test, just um, to uh, if you to see if you remember your name and and who's the current president and that kind of thing. Um, and I passed that, but it became apparent over a few weeks that I could no longer read body language in the way all of us can, all of us really are expert at, which is when we have a close friend or a family member or a colleague, somebody that we know well, we can tell when they're um, Uh, excited or angry or emotionally uh, moved in one way or another. The the typical thing is a dear friend or a family member walks into a room and you go, what happened? Because you just see it written all over their face, right? Either good or bad. I couldn't do that anymore. I I couldn't pick up on that, on those cues, those uh, nonverbal cues. And so um, um, I had to relearn it very slowly over the period of about a year uh, through through really hard study of sort of just watching people and trying to figure out what the those grimaces on their faces meant <laughs> and this kind of thing, um, and then on, almost undoubtedly my brain sort of healed too yeah. just naturally during the process. So that led to this lifelong interest in in body language and communications and storytelling, um, and and so um, that's that's my origin story.
0: I love it because you know when I was reading. Um your book that was, I I guess it was maybe not the most recent one to release, but maybe the one right before that power cues. Right. Um, I read that story and I, and you know, firstly, I've got my own tobogganing story. Um, in, in the South, we just called it sledding is what we called it. And it was, (laughs) it was, it was, yeah, it was interesting. I didn't quite have the experience you had. I could, I looked back and I thought, wow, that could have really gone a different way very quickly. Mm. Um, but I love the, the way that you lay out and, teach body language because it's not in a very typical way that it's taught. You know, typically what I've seen in body language and in communication, it's around, okay, you know, this this positioning or this movement means this most likely. And I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody say, okay, there's definitive, It's there's no questions asked. But you teach a much more nuanced uh, approach. I would love to just briefly to kind of talk about that and then how that led into your new book.
1: Uh, sure. The, uh, the The thing to understand is what we humans care about um, when we're communicating with each other is each other's intent, um, and we care about specific words. Um, there are times when specific words matter very much, um, but we care even more about the intent. Think of intent as the wrapping around the message. Uh, and. You know, I illustrate this in "Can You Hear Me?" by by saying, "Have you ever sent the following email? Nice job, good job, great job." Everybody yeah. sent that email when when I give virtual <laughs> talks on this. Everybody has sent the email, and I'll say, "Would it surprise you to learn that 60 percent of the time that email is taken as sarcastic?" Now, when I talked about this back in 2018 in person, uh, when we were so <laughs> fortunate to be able to, to be able to stand on stages and have audiences and things. Um, I'd get an audible gasp from the audience. People were just shocked by that. And and you, the reaction is universal. Like, how could anybody <laughs> be so stupid as to misunderstand that obvious email? And and I'd say, understandable reaction, but the wrong question. The real question is, how can I make my intent clear? Um, yeah. And that's because in the virtual world, um, the intent doesn't come through because body language doesn't come through uh, anything like this clearly. And, and of course, the same is true at a deeper level uh, when we're talking in person because we still have to make our intent clear. And and so uh, how I think about body language is it's it's the wrapping around our basic communications that tell us uh, when what our intent is toward each other. So that email, for example, or even if you said that in person, great job, Brett. If I say, great job, Brett, and look serious when I and meaningful and authentic when I say it, then you're going to take it one way. If I go, great job, Brett, you know, <laughs> then you're going to react in a different way. So that shows how important ten, intent is because it gives a completely different meaning. Um, every communication is always two conversations. That's the way I think of it. Um, one conversation is the content. The other conversation is the body language. And when those two are aligned, you can be an effective communicator and your message comes through. When they're not aligned, what happens is that the body language trumps the content every time. And and that sounds surprising, but it's actually just basic common sense when you think about it. If if you saw a speaker on a stage, let's all cast our minds back when that was so possible. <laughs> Way right? back when. Way back when, right? And 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 the speaker kind of totters out there with slumped shoulders and downcast uh, head, and looks kind of sad, and then says, "What a lot of speakers start speeches with. Don't do this, by the way. Um, I'm really excited to be here, right? Which would you believe, the body language, or the the uh, content? I'm really excited to be here." Of course, in that situation, you believe the body language. That's okay. what I mean. And so if you start with that, then you say, OK, when is the body language supporting what we're saying? When is it undercutting what we're saying? Those of us who want to take charge of our communications will be effective at it. Of course, we want to think about how do we make our body language support what we're saying so we can be effective communicators.
0: That is awesome, and that's. So, I, I want to ask one more question around body language because I, mm. I want to make sure we we'll highlight this, and then I want to bridge to "Can You Hear Me?" Because the the Great. power in this "Can You Hear Me?" book, I think, is really so needed right now. Um, <laughs> you know, you talk about the, and I'll be darned if the question didn't just leave. The <laughs> <Yeah>. Just pause <laughs> for a second. Done. Exactly. It'll come to
1: you. It'll come to you.
0: When you're talking about the body language um, mm. and, and you're talking about that congruency, one of the things that I've noticed, and I've noticed this in myself because I've, I won't say I've studied body language because I I definitely don't have the credentials that you do in body language, but I've read several books about body language. Mm. And I've often found myself in the place, even when I'm in interpersonal communications, much less business, where a good portion of my conscious mind is taken up in the positioning of my body language okay am i putting my hand over my mouth while my wife is speaking because my wife being uh, you know a, someone who has a psychology background often be like okay well what is it that you're not wanting to say <laughs> and so Tough. i find uh, yeah I find my, it, it really is <laughs> i find myself really working sometimes to maintain the right body language but you go into this subconscious conscious and then subconscious conversation in your book. And I would love for you to just on that just a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. So the, if you think of it as two conversations, then uh, the question becomes, what's, what's the difference between the two conversations and how can I align them? And what's interesting is uh, when I ask most people, like, how much uh, time do you spend if you're getting ready to give an important speech or presentation or you're going into an important meeting, how much time do you spend thinking about Um, the content versus the body language. Um, Most people are not thinking about as much as you are. They'll say typically 95% content, 5% body language, or even 100%, 0%. And that's because our brains are designed to make body language unconscious and out of reach of our normal conscious thinking. It takes an effort. We don't care about the body language per se So if somebody's coming at you, shaking their fist at you, you're not going to go, hmm, interesting shape of the fist, interesting way in which it turned. No, you don't care about that. What you care about is the intent. Is this guy crazy? Is he going to hurt me? What's going on here? Uh, And so we care about the intent behind it. And and so reading body language is not a conscious thing for us. Uh, But um, with training and thinking about it, when it's important, you you can make yourself more aware of it. And then... Uh, both work on your own body language to make sure your content and your body language is aligned, and then also read other people's body language to see whether they're uh, uh, given a too straight or not, or whether they're trying to pull a fast one on you. And the way I say to think about it is really to start a dialogue with your unconscious mind, because it is in there, it is reading body language 100% of the time it's always checking out the uh, the other people that you're talking with to say do I believe this do I not believe this and so if you start that conversation with yourself if you say what's important here i want to know whether the other person's telling me the truth or not perhaps or uh, i want to know if the other person is a friend or not i want to know if the other person's on my side or not often in business meetings you want to know is this person going to get on board or are they going to give me a hard time are they going to resist you know um or if you're in a sales situation is is this person ready to buy or um, th- does he or she need more persuading and you can ask those questions of your unconscious mind you can say is this person ready or not your unconscious mind already knows the answer but it's a matter of getting in tuned with those uh, signals coming from the unconscious mind um, and doing that work to get some practice so that you're confident in the answer. And w- with some work and with uh, some listening, uh, strange as it sounds to your unconscious mind, you can get a lot better at that. You can get to the point where you can read things pretty quickly. Now, uh-huh. what I had to do, which is focus consciously on the body language, that's hard work because the, uh, body language comes at you so quickly um, that you really have to uh, uh, think about it very, very hard. And then it's hard to talk at the same time. Right? <laughs> this is the chewing gum and walking problem. Um, and and so that's why I started to realize that if I ask the questions in advance, if I think about the meeting as I'm going in thinking, what is it I care about in this meeting? All right, I want to know if Joe is going to be on my side or not, then I can listen to my unconscious um, and Figure out what it's telling me about that. I don't have to read all the body language. I just have to get that message.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And a lot of that body language is covered in a previous book. And and if you go to um, Nick's website below, publicwords.com, and for those of you who are listening later on and you're on the podcast, um, I will make sure to put these both in the comments online as well as in the show notes. So you've got those to refer to. Make sure you go to publicwords.com. You can see. All of the work that that Nick does, as well as his book collections, but with the one that I want to highlight today because I just think it's it's almost providential the the timing of this book. Um, and I'm going to put it put it up on the screen here for anybody who's tuning in. It's called "Can You Hear Me: How to Connect with People in the Virtual World." Now, before we kind of dive into here, I've been reading this book, um, and I I don't actually have a physical copy because of delays with a major online retailer that deals and books that has had some shipping delays as of late, but I picked mm-hmm. it up on Kindle because I wanted to make sure that I got through it. And the thing that I love about this book is part one is it's more mindset and strategy with some tactics, but part two, you get extremely tactical and, mm-hmm. and I love that about it, but above and beyond that, I love the mindset that you approach the book with because I'm a little bit old school when it comes mm. to the virtual world. I am not the person, and most of my listeners are not the people that are singing, virtual is the new normal, we all need to be virtual all the time and you know we're mm-hmm. never going back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the way that you've balanced this with just the reality, almost prophetically, that <laughs> virtual is, it's here and it's moving forward and especially for larger corporations and really across the board, there's no going back. But to some degree, the you you look at it from from identifying I don't want to say identifying I guess recognizing some of the inherent lacks and mm-hmm. and downfalls of virtual while still balancing this okay it's here so how do we address it so I would love for you to kind of just talk briefly about can you hear me and um, talk some about what inspired you to write this even well before we are now in the middle of a global or hopefully towards the end of a global pandemic
1: yes let's hope so. Uh, <laughs> I I was inspired to write it because I was going around the world talking about body language and storytelling. And I started getting the question, this was about five years ago, uh, people saying things like, well, Nick, this body language stuff's all very interesting. Thanks. But um, I have a team that's based in India and France and California, let's say. Um, And I rarely see them face to face. So uh, how does this body language stuff that you say is so important, How does that work when you're in the virtual world? And my first reaction was, well, duh, it doesn't. And I (laughs) thought, that's not good enough (laughs) for a supposed expert on communications, right? I got to do better than that. So I started doing the research. And what I found really surprised me. I expected, for example, that people would become more empathetic online because lacking the feedback through the five senses, um, I, I thought people would get really curious. And, and they sort of ask more and try to figure out more how other people are doing. What happens, though, and this is not because we're bad people, but it's because it's the way our brains are designed. Our brains crave information through those five senses. And so when you say, nice job, Nick, I immediately want to know, are you being sarcastic? Are you being straightforward? Um, if that information isn't coming through the five senses instantly, what happens is my brain makes up that information. And if you think about it, in evolutionary terms, that's a really smart thing for my brain to do. It doesn't want to wait around to see if that shadow is a saber-toothed tiger or not. Right. It want It's better to assume it is a saber-toothed tiger, take evasive action, and then figure out what happened. So right. that's what your brain does. It doesn't get the information right away in the virtual world, and it goes, uh-oh, possible danger here. I'm going to assume the worst. And so we become less empathetic online. And and here's the, the first sort of big, scary finding. All virtual relationships degrade over time. All virtual relationships. Yeah. Now, th- that's really distressing when we're in the midst of a pandemic. And, and um, many of us aren't able to strengthen and renew those virtual relationships that we have face-to-face. That's, of course, the ideal thing. Back in 2018, when I wrote the book, I said... Uh, if you have a strong virtual relationship with a client or a customer or or a a team of colleagues you need to renew it face to face on a regular basis whatever is appropriate quarterly or yearly or whatever makes sense for the team and the intensity of the work and that kind of thing Um, of course that's hard to do now
0: Um,
1: and so uh, we run the risk of uh, of letting a number of those virtual relationships continue to degrade so i for one am just really wildly looking forward to the time when we can get back to face-to-face and and, and start repairing some of the damage. And and the way to understand this, I, it might be helpful just to give a quick illustration. Yeah. Um, the, if you think about the, the typical team of colleagues who work in a company, um, they would have gotten together face-to-face, let's say, on a weekly basis pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, they've taken to having those meetings on Zoom, or perhaps they've had audio uh, meetings, either one. What happens is, uh, let's say Brett is talking away. Um, on, let's let's say it's an audio conference. So you're, you're chattering away, and you come up with what you think is a brilliant idea. And you finally pause for breath. Um, and <laughs> what happens is uh, the, the, you wait for a response. And there's silence. Yeah. now what's happening you know consciously people are lunging for the mute button and they're coming back from the bathroom or wherever they were right Right. especially at audio conferences um and 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 they're trying to think of what to say and so there's going to be a little pause now when it's face to face what happens when you when you stop like that and wait for a response, is you get an instant response. We can't help it. Our eyes widen, we smile, we nod, we frown, we lean back, we cross our arms, whatever our reaction is, we make it clear instantly in terms of body language. Online, there's this slight delay. Now remember, your assumption in that slight delay is, whoops, they hate me, or I blew it, or yeah, they're, uh, they're bored, or they've checked out, or nobody's paying attention, or it was a dumb idea. You cannot because of the way you're wired, make a positive assumption <laughs> in that moment. Yeah. And the same thing happens on video. On video, you can see the other people, but there is a slight delay just because of the way video and audio are transmitted over um, over video conferences. Um, there's a slight delay between the two. So you still get that little bit of a delay. Uh, and the result is, again, that we assume the worst. Yeah. Um, and so that's the the problem and that's why these things even with the best of intentions even with everybody doing their darndest to be positive and and uh, keep the the good times rolling uh the the virtual relationships degrade over time
0: yeah and i i think it's you know you you talk about and can you hear me you talk about the impacts of virtual on attention spans and on engagement because i mean you Mm. know i think you specifically walked through you know what i've seen Many times, both in myself sometimes, as well as in um, colleagues or people that I've, I've worked with, where you've got that, it's very difficult to focus in um, mm. when you're in a virtual world, because you're not getting that, I would almost call it, but not quite biochemical feedback, you know, that yeah. that direct hu- human to human. And so when we're in this, this world that we're in right now, this pandemic world, and, and while we're hopefully on the tail end of it, we're still probably gonna be looking at this, for at least another six to maybe god forbid 12 months yeah what are what are some tips and tricks and and by the way before he goes into this i want to mention if you've not already picked up this can you hear me book if you don't read the book at all and all you do is go through this book and go through the checklists and the cheat sheets (laughs) that Nick has provided, it will be worth every penny you spend on it. Okay. Um, I've literally gone through and been highlighting these things and I'm like, I've got to make like note cards or printouts of these because (laughs) it's just so, so such money for lack of a better term. It's just, it's so poignant and it's so pointed of how you can communicate more effectively. But what are some tips that you could say? And we'll, we'll approach this from two audiences. First and foremost, from Those of us who are not necessarily speakers and doing what I would call mass communication Mm. that are more in this one-to-one meeting world or this one-to-a-few meeting world, what are some tips you could give us? And then if you don't mind following up from that, what tips would you give those who are in more of this mass communication world of how to be the most effective virtually?
1: Sure. So in the one-to-one or one-to-a-few, um, kinds of regular ongoing meetings the first thing uh, especially if you've got um three or four people or, or an ongoing team let's say then you want to establish a, a new role um, for that meeting uh, which may come as a bit of a surprise and that's the mc and the reason for that is there's a lot of research that shows on a regular ongoing meeting like that with colleagues that you know well, if the participation of everybody is roughly equal, then the quality of the team output and the its esprit de corps, how it feels about itself, are gonna go up. If the participation is uneven, um, then both those things go down. Yeah. And so the, the job of the MC is, is to check in and say, uh, Brett, we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, how are you feeling right now? What What do you think about this? And and also because uh, when you tell students that there's going to be a test at the end of the week, they pay better attention. <laughs> um, if you tell people like we're going to stop in about 10 minutes and go around the room, the virtual room, and just check in with everybody um, then and see how you're doing, then people engage better uh, to your earlier point. we None of us engage as well online because it lacks that powerful sense of human connection yeah. uh, that we have. We get a little bit of it, but it's not the same as face to face. And so we don't engage as much as a result. Um, we're not as uh, uh, liable to uh, to find the meeting compelling. Um, and our attention spans are shorter. You alluded to that. Uh, And so an MC is a really helpful thing to keep the kind of glue of that meeting going. If it's just you and one other person, if you're talking with a client or a customer or something like that, then I would say spend almost as much time on the relationship as you do on the specifics of whatever it is that you're talking about. And that, again, may sound uh, odd, but what you're doing is the kinds of things you'd normally take care of face to face that kind of check in and the ability to read the other person and say oh you look a little down today what's up um, that kind of thing is very hard to do online and so you have to build it in um, and mm. and keep stressing uh, especially if if it's a boss uh, worker relationship and the boss has to deliver bad news we don't mm. like we don't like bad news anytime we really don't like it online <laughs> and so you've got to do the classic uh, you know um, uh, good news, a little bit of bad news, and then more good news kind of sandwich uh, yeah. in, order, in order to make it palatable. But the the real thing to do is to focus on how much you value the relationship. Uh, because uh, what happens online is that uh, relationships get more fragile. And we tend to read inconsistency as a breakup of the relationship. Yeah, And what do I mean by that? If you meet somebody face-to-face, if they're having a bad day, you know them well already. You might cut them some slack because you can tell they're having a bad day. They're a little harried or, or they're tired or, or something. Online, um, we look for consistency. And when people are inconsistent, in other words, they're up and energetic and fun one day and a little tired and draggy and not as involved the next day, then we tend to think, oh, they don't value the relationship anymore. Yeah. And so the, the the issue is you have to stress the the ongoing nature of the relationship um, and be as consistent as you can. We humans are by nature inconsistent beings. Sadly, online is not the best place for us. Uh, but be as consistent as you can in the relationship, and especially in terms of the communication. Um, and If you're meeting somebody new online, and this is the biggest challenge for the pandemic, is establishing new relationships. Uh, because you don't have that glue that you automatically get face to face to hold it together. Uh, but the thing to do there is to be very conscious of consistency. So uh, use uh, the same uh, number of communications. If you're going to communicate weekly, then keep doing it weekly. Don't suddenly speed up and do it every day or suddenly drop to every three weeks or something like that. you got to be consistent. And yeah. then um, and use as many of the channels as you can, um, again, keeping it consistent. Um, And then don't suddenly change the tenor of the relationship. In other words, uh, we all know it's risky if you're a speaker to stand up and start with a joke, because what if it falls flat? Well, it's really risky online to suddenly start adding humor into a relationship that's brand new online um, a few weeks into or a few (laughs) months into the relationship, because uh, you can't read people as well as you can face to face. It's risky face to face. But online, boy, um, the odds that the joke's going to fall flat or insult the other person or hurt their feelings is very high. Um, so don't uh, be very, very careful with humor in general. Um, but also um, know your person really well uh, before you start trying to uh, mix up the communications.
0: That's awesome. And uh, you know, before you, you we got to bridge <laughs> over into the one-to-many side Mm -hmm. of things. One of the things uh, several months ago, I actually, uh, funny enough, I actually had my brother who is a real estate marketing expert down in the Atlanta Mm -hmm. area. I had my brother on the show and we were talking about the future of marketing. And I just think this dovetails so much into your book and even what we've kind of briefly touched on today. I asked him what what he felt the future of marketing was going to look like. And he said, I feel like we're entering the age of the empath. Mm-hmm. where the importance of empathy, both from a one-to-one as well as a one-to-many marketing standpoint, is going into an, a whole nother level. And I've told him I'm I'm straight stealing that term. I'm going to have to <laughs> title a book, The Age of the Empath. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the things that you talk about a lot in the book is, you know, when, when how was it you said it? Inconsistency in an online relationship, we often view, view as a breakup. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think that's often because we lack or we're lacking empathy and you talk about that in your book and that's, and I've read both of them here very recently. So I'm not, can't remember if it was power cues or if it was, can you hear me? Hmm. But you talk about how that online relationship really kind of pulls back on that empathy, the, our general empathetic stance towards things. So yeah. with that being the case, I know it's becoming increasingly difficult to, maintain engagement and attention for those who are addressing the one to many audiences. You know, you've got webinar after webinar. I don't know about you, but I feel like every other day I'm getting five invitations to new webinars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's that Zoom fatigue that that people are experiencing, especially when they're where you are, where you're in that speaker, uh, where you are often speaking to larger audiences. So mm-hmm. what are ways that people can address that and work to connect that empathy, but as well as, as, well as Build that relationship from a one-to-many. Uh,
1: yeah, it's it's an important thing that we've got to get right because, um, to your point, I think we are stuck with more of the of the virtual uh, world. The pandemic just accelerated a trend that was there uh, already. Um, even even setting aside that when we can finally come back together, my guess is we're going to have a big uh, uh, welter of back together reunion conferences and all <laughs> kinds of things to make up for lost time. I mean, that is only human. But I think then the pendulum will swing back and end up somewhere further uh, uh, toward the virtual than it was before the pandemic. At least that's everybody's best guess right now. Right. So um, so we've got to get used to it. We've got to get uh, good at it. And the, uh, one to many, the first thing to understand is that you, you really, really need to respect this uh, uh, sort of the emotional lack of engagement that's going on, and and shorten your, um, if you were used to giving a 45-minute talk, break it up into 10-minute chapters. Mm -hmm. I say don't go more than 7 to 10 minutes without some kind of change. Um, And and it doesn't have to be huge. Uh, It just has to be a minute, perhaps, or even 30 seconds to allow your uh, audience to re-engage. Uh, Another thing that's important is, during those chapters, hopefully you're doing this anyway, but uh, to make it as interactive as possible. uh, Because uh, one of the funny things that we weren't anticipating um, in the, and I didn't frankly anticipate in the book, was how uh, Zoom would democratize everything. Video conferencing would democratize everything. Uh, As a speaker, pre-pandemic, you walk out onto the stage you're six feet above the audience on that raised stage. You've got lights. You've got yourself on on big screens on either side of you. Maybe you've got walk-on music. Somebody introduces you and says you're great. All of that uh, tends to uh, elevate the speaker a little bit above the audience. Right? Yeah. Um, on on video conferencing, we're all just nodes on a computer.
0: Yeah.
1: And whoever shows up on the screen is just the last person talking. Yeah. And and that is actually has some good um, uh, elements to it. It's been helpful for a lot of introverts. Uh, report that they're more comfortable joining in on on a Zoom talk than they than they were if they were sitting one person in five amongst five hundred and having to raise your hand is a scary <laughs> prospect for you. You know, better on Zoom. Uh, you right. can just chat. Uh, put the question in chat, right? Uh, but uh, uh, that. Uh, sense of democratization means that uh, you have to include the people on a on a regular basis and so I say uh, seven to ten minutes uh, switch it up give the audience a chance to ask questions uh, but also be figuring out interactive things to do Um, all of that's going to help bring people in the other thing you have to think about is good storytelling uh, because we humans, even in person, are not very good at remembering lists of things.
0: Yeah,
1: And I first realized this years ago when uh, I was working for a giant Fortune 100 company and somebody in there, a high powered executive, stood up and said, there's 17 reasons why this idea won't work. <laughs> and I sat there just amazed as he listed all 17 of them, one, counting them one off. And I thought, what an impressive uh, power of, uh, demonstration of brain power, you know, that he could remember all 17. Um, and yet what I noticed, the audience around him was nobody was paying any attention. By the time he got to about number 12, it was just too many. We humans can't remember lists very well, yeah. but stories we remember forever. Um, and so, especially in the online world, um, the, uh, then you need to be more uh, of a storyteller, less of, a uh, uh, of uh, a uh, an itemizer or a, a list reader or whatever else uh, just an information giver. Right. It's got to be about stories. Everything has to be wrapped into stories.
0: Yeah. I love that. And that's mm-hmm. you know, I think the more that we hone these skills, the better we're going to position ourselves moving forward, even like you're saying, coming out of virtual because these are things that are going to matter from the real physical stages whenever they do come back and and those um so I think that the more that we realize the value of this and, and, you know, you talked about video conferencing kind of democratizing things. I think it's often important for, you know, those who are in that expert status or that expert realm to remember the value of being able to pull people into your message by, if you will, level setting with them Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. even, even in the physical events. So there's an enormous amount of power with that. So again, we have Dr. Nick Morgan here. The book is Can You Hear Me? How to Connect with People in a Virtual World. Um, I cannot recommend that you pick up um, Nick Morgan stuff enough. Um, the, the mindset and thought process behind what went into this book has been what, in my opinion, is the one of the most valuable and should be almost your virtual Bible right now. Um, because you need it. we all need it because when he goes into a lot of the details of what what we are missing in our communication online, um, uh, you know it convicted me. I was I, as I was reading yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, reading about the 60%, you know, not really receiving nice job the right way and things like that and he the, again, the tactical lists that he goes into, just in the checklists and the cheat sheets and the cheat guides on them, um, are absolutely worth it. So Nick, tell us how people can reach out to you, how they can get in touch with you, um, and where they can, where's the best place to seek you out?
1: Yeah, sure. If, uh, if you can go to the website, with dot um, then there's a Lots of free information there. Um, I think it's a free chapter still to download from the book, um, and and l- an easy way to communicate with us. There's a there's a question form awesome. you fill out, yeah, and we'll get awesome. back to you. As quick as we can.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate I really appreciate you for coming on the show. I know people are going to get an enormous amount of value from this. And when they pick up your book, they're going to see why I'm now a raving fan of Mm -hmm. your work and can't wait for more of your work to come in. So um, if you will hang out for just a minute, I'll go ahead and close us out um, and then we'll roll from there.
1: Thank you, Brett. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. So, again, thank you all who tune in every week. I know many of you are catching the replay of this. You know, we all have to realize that with the way things are going right now in virtual and the way that they will probably go to some degree for the foreseeable future that these skills and mindsets are going to be absolutely critical. So if you've enjoyed this, if you've gotten something out of our conversation with Nick, please make sure to like and share this this with your audience because we want to make sure that we're getting these messages out to as many people as possible so that we can all better adapt to this new virtual world with that we will be live again this thursday that's this thursday that is march the 18th and we are going to be live with paul daniels and i will go into a lot of who paul daniel is paul daniels is later on but we are going to be talking about the power of peripheral thinking so if you have if you've never heard of peripheral thinking make sure you look it up and we will be live with him this coming Thursday, that is March the 18th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. I look forward to talking to you then. And until then, I'm just here to keep reminding you, either give value or just don't bother.